Hey, what's going on? This is Jeremy Thone, Marketing Director of 3PL Systems and host of 3PL Live. I'm excited to share an interview with Michael Overholt. He's a PhD, ex-university professor turned into solopreneur. In this discussion, we talk about how he was able to monetize LinkedIn with only a thousand followers. I've never actually heard of anyone monetizing LinkedIn with that amount of followers. So it's really interesting. Talked about some of his strategies, which included stuff that wasn't scalable. He'd actually spend a couple hours on each potential client and then basically do a little bit of upfront work and initially landed some clients. So I think a lot of people are more into this like pitch slapping thing that doesn't really work. It's more like mindless. He had a lot more strategy when he was actually going after his copywriting clients. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Michael, I'm excited to talk to you. Welcome to 3PLI. For those uh, folks that don't know you, would you mind introducing yourself and specifically also the fact that you used to be a, a university professor at 1.2 seems pretty interesting. Sure, yeah. My name is Michael Scott Overholt, and I have a PhD in classical languages and literature from the University of Iowa. I taught at various levels, including junior high and high school level at English and Latin. And then I transitioned about 13 years ago into the university space and have taught at the University of Iowa, College of Charleston, and a couple of community colleges in between there. Wow. Pretty impressive. PhD sounds pretty crazy. Did you learn a lot through that experience to have discipline, I would imagine? Or what was some, just out of curiosity, what was some learnings from that experience? Because that seems pretty brutal. Yeah. I mean, the PhD, I mean, it's tough. It definitely is tough, but um, it's more of an, a test of endurance than anything. And so mm -hmm. if, you, if you stay in it, you'll eventually finish. Most people finish the coursework uh, pretty handedly because they love the material. But the dissertation is is the the real kicker. You know what I what I learned from there. There were a lot of things I learned, uh, mainly in the sense of just being disciplined, showing up every day, mm -hmm. um, doing what I had right in front of me. You know, taking the feedback from my my director. But overall, my graduate study experience was incredible. I loved it. Mm, very cool. Well, the purpose of today's conversation is monetizing LinkedIn, which is probably a world's away from, from academia. But how did you, I, I actually met you on LinkedIn and I noticed some of your content, or I believe maybe you messaged me maybe, but regardless of how we met on LinkedIn, how, how are you using LinkedIn? And you've started to monetize it. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, can you unpack how that happened? Sure. Yeah, I'd be glad to. I monetized, I mean, I've, I've realized now that I've monetized quite early compared to the way a lot of people use LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. The way that I did it was I chose a very unscalable way to <laughs> do it. Sure. I, I had started up a content writing business that allowed me to work with one media company from Florida. When I made the transition then to LinkedIn, it was how do I get people to pay me for for my writing services? That was that was really tricky. And mm -hmm. the thing uh, kept coming down to you know show don't tell. Instead of reaching out and saying hey I'm a writer, show them you're a writer. So I reached out. What I didn't actually reach out to them. I looked for live events that that were coming up that were maybe like two, three weeks out. And I saw, I looked at the copy for those live events. If I thought that I could improve the copy for those live events, I wrote it up in that, in a voice that looked like the person, you know, the coach or the consultant who whoever was doing it. And then I also wrote a version of it that was completely different. So, you know, in the end there was, 
there was a, a copy, there was copy written in the voice of the, the uh, event coordinator or the, you know, the, the coach or consultant. And then there was another piece of copy that was in a completely different voice, but advertising the same, the same event. I then contacted the, the profile that was connected to the, to the event and said, Hey, um, just want to let you know that I'm trying out a new copywriting formula. I've written some copy for this event and um, I'd love to share it with you. You're welcome mm-hmm. to use it if you find it useful. I just want some feedback on it to tell you, you know, to hear from you, like what you think about it. Mm. So that's, that's how it, I originally like showed people that I had what it took to, to write for them. And um, I developed some really great professional relationships through that people who mm. said, Oh, wow. Uh, one, one person said, Oh my goodness, you, you nailed my voice. You know, another person <laughs> said, you did nail my voice, but I like the other version better. <laughs> like the, the one in the different voice better. Oh, I really would like to sound more like that. And so it was, it was a really interesting experience, very time consuming experience. Like for every single one of these, I was spending probably about an hour to two hours a day. And I committed to doing that for 30 days. And during that 30 days, I got at least one client, maybe, a, maybe two or three. I'm trying to, it's been a little while ago, but um, I did get a client in that in that time of actually showing people how I could write. Wow. Yeah. I, how did you, that sounds really interesting the way you approached it. Cause I feel like it's completely the opposite of what a lot of people do. I see a lot of people just sort of doing like a quick pitch slap. And I know it's kind of frowned upon where they're just like quickly selling their services. Like you, you actually took the time, figured it out, added some value and rewrote some of the stuff that they're doing for their events. Was it I guess, was it overwhelming at first though, from, from the standpoint of like not knowing if it would work, I guess, or like how much was it like an hour, like each thing you were spending on each client, I guess, how did you unpack part of that part of it? I know you, you kind of, I guess, led with, the, I'm going to experiment with this for a month. Cause I think that sometimes, I think it's a great idea, but sometimes it's hard. Like when you're in that situation, am I wasting my time? Am I like really like not, mm-hmm. I guess that's what the time frame for was there for, but like, could you kind of unpack a little bit of that as well? Like, were you thinking that or were you trying to just experimenting? Yeah. I guess I should I should um, edit myself in saying that I ended up doing it for about sixty days. I did it for about two months at least, mm-hmm. um, but I had committed originally to doing it for one month. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's one of those things where I felt like I mean, because of where I was at in my business, I did bind to the belief that I had to show people. I couldn't just tell people, mm-hmm. um, and I also understood that, and I realized this as it was happening that it took people sometimes two to three weeks from the time that I initially contacted them to actually hearing back from them. Hmm. So it's a lot of waiting for sure. I would venture to say that I did have a couple of other things going on besides this, but this was a way for me to say, okay, I'm going to get some, some copywriting experience in. I'm going to show people then I'm going to follow up with them. And that was the, I believe the most authentic way that I could go about this part of my business. It's pretty impressive because how many followers did you have at that time on LinkedIn when you were doing that? Because some people like could have a lot of followers and not monetize it at all. Like they could have 20,000 followers and probably have like zero monetization. So I think it's interesting to look at that data point too. How many did you have when you actually monetized it for the first time? Yeah, um, I can't say exactly, but it was less than a thousand. That's impressive. That. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So to think about as you scale forward, that, that seems like 
it's interesting. Like you don't necessarily need a big audience then to make something to actually earn a dollar on LinkedIn, which is interesting. How did the actual conversations go though after like, was it a natural progression to like that first client? Like, did they say, Hey, I want to work with you or how did, and then as far as like pricing goes, how did you, I guess, strategize that as well? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These are great questions. So there, there's one thing I, I didn't say that I did in this is when, if somebody accepted, was like, yeah, I'd love to see it, send it over. Mm -hmm. I did one extra step at that point. I would make a Loom video mm. where I talked through what I had created. So I said, here's one where I did it in your voice. And by your voice, I may get this completely wrong, but I went to your website and I saw these phrases being used. And I looked on your on some of your posts and I saw these words being used. And so I was looking a lot, looking primarily for adjectives and verbs being the the uh, the main drivers of that voice. And then I said, the one that's in a different voice, <clears throat> excuse me, is just different. It's not me saying that this is a better voice. I'm just trying to provide some contrast. Mm. So what I was trying to do was make sure that I was not being condescending towards the way that they were writing. Mm. And that Loom video was also another way that I discovered how, how people respond to me talking to them either in a video or in some sort of where they hear the tone of my voice coming through. Mm -hmm. And that became quite a strength. Sometimes I've had a couple of, of cooks to say that I, I have a very soothing voice. You know, I don't well, have nice. a very you know harsh sounding voice. And so <laughs> I started thinking, I was like, okay, so maybe that's a benefit. You know, how can I use this, you know, to my advantage and, and really kind of put people at ease because I want to, I want to work with people who trust me. And I want to communicate that trust in one way, shape, or form. Mm, fair. Now, to try to answer the second part, you know, as far as the pricing goes, that was just probably hard. that was just throwing spaghetti at the wall in the <laughs> early stages. It was what because initially I had this, you know, the same mentality that everybody else has is just like, what will people pay? That's not a great leading question. You know, we need to you know, think about like, you know, what value am I offering people? Is this worth it to me? But you know, in those early stages, I had to get, I had to get some traction. So I, I would work with them. I'd say, here's what, here's what I have to offer. Here's the price. I think on a couple of them, I was even like, you know, does this sound fair to you? And once I started getting a feel for, you know, what I could charge for that service, then I, then I started asking that question that is a lot more um, interesting. And it's um, how can I add more value to my clients, mm. which is a, is a life-changing, you know, question when it comes to entrepreneurship. hundred mm, percent value. It's very interesting because I feel like a lot of the times people will pay for like a, I don't know if you're not an author, for example, they'll pay for something from a non-author to author, or if like college is another interesting example, like you don't necessarily know you know your your prospects are going to be better after you graduate from college, but colleges charge like a couple hundred grand, and people are okay with that because they feel like the value of or the prestige from the college. So I think value is kind of tangible and also intangible to some sort of degree. I think that people yeah. just want results, and they're not necessarily. I think they'll pay a lot per hour just knowing that they get those results, essentially, yeah. which is kind of an interesting thing. But what, how do you look at also your like, um, you initially went after people that were having events. How has that changed? Are you, what is like, do you have like a profile for like, is it content writers? Is it coaches? Is it other like solopreneur type people that you're looking at, at finding as a client? And how are you kind of identifying that now as you're kind of further along? 
That's a great question. Um, I, it has changed. You know, um, when you're starting out, you start off with things that are completely unscalable, right? So oh, sure. there, there's only so much time that I could devote to that. So once I started getting clients, I, I was able to change. Um, I was able to start offering, you know, saying offering social proof on my own mm. hosting that allowed people to say, oh, he's working with so-and-so and he benefited them in this mm. way. That was that was one way that it changed. Um, because I work in the professional development space, though, I am I am looking to work primarily with coaches and consultants. Uh, nothing, you know, this that's something I'm just very upfront with. I do, mm-hmm. I'm not a coach necessarily myself, and I'm even though I do coach people on their writing, but I'm I'm working with people primarily who are helping others professionally or personally develop. Mm, fair. What about, I, I'm a big fan of that Robert Cialdini book, Influence, and he kind of hits hit, hits it home in there with uh, the idea of like social proof and whatnot. How do you like look at, I think that social proof is really important and starting out, it's kind of hard to get it. And it sounds like you got it from those first few clients. How did you ask them for it? And was it like a, or like a video review or is it just like a, like a LinkedIn or some text that you kind of repurposed into like a LinkedIn post type of thing? Yeah. My my friend Adriana Tika has kind of opened my eyes to some different ways of doing this. Um, the originally I had I would reach out to people and I would ask them for like a review, like "Hey, this would really help me out," you know. And they were more than glad to write me something. That was that was great. Mm-hmm. And it normally was in a text format as opposed to a video format. Mm-hmm. However, one of the things that Adriana showed me was that even in my in the comments on linkedin if somebody if somebody says this is amazing or you you do this really really well reach out and ask them hey can i use this as social proof and i actually did it today um, somebody commented on a on a on a post and i reached out to them and said hey i really appreciate you saying this it was really kind do you mind if i grab it and they're like no you don't, i don't mind at all you don't even have to ask me anymore so that's, that's um, cool looking for Things other than just, you know, written responses to an email that you have, you know, looking in the comments, how people are interacting with you. Those became another way to to find social proof. And then there was there was a thing where as I started working with clients who were paying me higher for more premium offers, I would have a video session or I would I would have a Zoom session where I checked in on them to see how things were going. And I would ask them, you know, point blank, you know, are you able to, you know, validate my services? Are you able to give it to provide a testimonial? Mm. And they, they generally were like, sure, I'd be glad to do that. And then it was a thing of, were they okay doing it with video or did they want me to do like just audio only or mm. text only? Yeah, it's interesting. I've heard people say that like video could be slightly better if, if we can these days. I haven't got my videos myself for some of my side hustle things. But it's just because it's, I guess it's easier to like replicate text at this point, but who knows, maybe in the future it'll be easy to replicate some AI videos too. But what about uh, your content strategy? Like how often are you posting? Is it a daily thing and like carousels that you're using? I I noticed you did some videos, which is cool. Um, What is some of like the, how often are you posting and like what is like the different mediums that you're using? I post a lot. Some people, I had a friend who told me straight out, like, uh, Michael, you post too often. <laughs> and, That's probably a good sign. <laughs> it, 
it's probably a good sign. Um, I post every day and sometimes, you know, even on the weekends, if I skip a day, it's generally a Saturday. Sure. What I do is I, I do have a text-based post every day. And then I, if I want to do something a little extra, I've, di- I've been doing some video posts in the afternoon. So my, my text-based post goes out at 10 a.m. Uh, Central Standard Time here in the U.S., Mm. And I try to be very, very intentional with that one. And then I, if I post a, a video in the afternoon, uh, which I actually am going to do today, it's going to be later on, like around two, three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And the reason I, t- to answer your question specifically, I do, I do text uh, posts, I do video posts, and then I also do webinars. So live webinars, oh, wow. those are my three media that I use. Uh, one of the more prominent content creators out there um, suggest that you should only have three. You shouldn't try to do all of them. Mm. And those are the three that I, that I tend to stick to. I do have a question about the video actually, because you were a professor, so you're probably used to being in front of people more than others. I would say, do you have any advice for people that are a little bit nervous in front of videos? I've, I've actually recorded like a few YouTube shorts myself that are like under like 60 seconds. And I like always would write out a script, but I felt like, my eye contact was a little awkward. Like I just felt like yeah. I just didn't feel like great about it. And it was interesting because like I think that like I'm better off like off the cuff. But like as you're starting out at things, I think I needed that crutch of having like that script. So I didn't know. So I knew exactly what I was saying. And it's funny because yeah. I actually did get some people kind of like hating on me in, in the comments. And some people were actually like, really kind too. But I think I pronounced Carl Jung's name wrong. I think I said like I don't remember. I said it that psychologist. I said it wrong and yeah. pointed it out in the comments, which I was. I tried not to even read them, to be completely honest, because I was like a little bit like I'm too. I was too fresh, like to, to yeah. get that type of feedback already. But like, do you have any advice for people that are just like more introverted or just don't like seeing themselves on video or whatever? Like, how do you get over that hump yeah. from like, or do you use a script and like, what's some advice you have to be more natural? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I've worked with some people on this um, and I've done a, I actually had a webinar on getting comfortable called getting comfortable with video posts. On mm, LinkedIn. Very cool. Um, so there, there are a couple of things that you can try. One of them is, uh, is <laughs> to, to go way back. I mean, you have to be, you have to practice self-compassion when it comes to video posts. Like you got to give yourself some time to learn it because mm. they're hard. I mean, they are hard and I, I don't ever feel completely comfortable with them because it's, it's a much more vulnerable space. And mm. I'm sorry to hear that you had people hating on you. In, in <laughs> the that's, that's really mean. Like, I don't even know. I don't, I need to stop there because I'll get riled up. But um, a couple of other practical things that you can do. Um, I tell people, so if you, if you feel uncomfortable with it, go ahead and make an outline. I wouldn't make an actual script, but just make an outline, find something that you're going to say at the beginning of the post what's the main message and then know where you're going to exit. So those Mm. three things, like know how you're going to enter, know the message and then exit away. Mm. Um, I always start with, Hey, this is, uh, it's Michael Scott Overholt, content strategist and copywriter or something like that. But Mm. it's it's just kind of like a tagline to get, to get people aware and to get me comfortable in the video space. Mm. Another another trick that I have encouraged people to do, if they're just really, really hesitant to do video, they feel really uncomfortable, is to, instead of going from zero to posting on LinkedIn, try doing some video, some video uh, messages to people in the DMs. Mm. Uh, LinkedIn has a great video 
message option I, I'm thrilled about. It actually has a really great response rate if you ever use it. But get comfortable seeing yourself on video, DMing people, and then consider actually posting on, on LinkedIn. Mm. Um, and that I found to be a, a pretty helpful way to just get comfortable with yourself because with video, you're not just, you're not only getting comfortable with your voice, you're also getting comfortable with seeing yourself. Mm-hmm. And if people have struggle with, you know, the way that they sound, which is something I hear people say all the time, I don't like the way I sound on audio. Then they also have that thing of analyzing and being really critical with themselves as far as like the way they be, you know, behave or what they're looking at. I think between self-compassion, outlining, and then practicing using video messaging, you can build up the confidence to then do a video post. No, I love that. I think that's cool. It's as a side note, uh, we're recording on Riverside FM right now, and I I can see myself in the video, but I always kind of move it off to the side because I feel like it's distracting to myself. It's not like I need to see myself the whole time. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that there's little tips like that too that you could potentially do. I wanted to talk to you just for like the last couple of minutes on on using DMs because mm-hmm. I don't know. There, there's something about the DMs that kind of turned me off initially on LinkedIn. Like I felt like I was just getting so many random. I love actually meeting people and connecting with people like yourself and like just everyone on LinkedIn for the most part. But I just felt like there was some like weird thing that I just didn't, I was not checking my DMs and I was not engaging with other creators and not engaging as much in comments and DMs that I needed to be. And I, I knew it was like a problem, even just having general conversations about just, you know, topics or that are hot on LinkedIn or whatever. How do you, how do you look at DMs? I need to have like a healthier strategy for like messaging people like um and dms how do you look at that yourself yeah dms are massive um they need to be handled carefully and some of it is going to be you know you're not going to you're not going to please everyone mm-hmm. um fair there you know so you know if somebody reacts to you you know poorly you, you might just have to let that one go what i would say though is you know mm-hmm. people universally appreciate authenticity Here's a great example. This actually happened today. I had DM somebody with a connection request. The person connected with me, and then I had I'd asked some things like I was wanting to know, you know, what did they, you know, really love about their business? And so it's kind of like a generic question, but it was a it was a way to talk to them. Mm-hmm. You know, and this person said, you know, look, I don't have time for this small talk. I've got to run a business. Jeez. Mm, <laughs> and, <I, laughs> and, and I responded by saying, oh. Totally get it. Really good. But I did want to make, let you know, you know, if you want to talk business, I said, I offer this free thing to people if you're interested in it. And the free thing is a free, it's called a dynamic session. It stands, for, it's a little bit corny. It stands for develop your narrative, amplifying magnetic ideas and copy. All right. Mm, so that sounds cool. So it's a, it's a way for people to get feedback on their on the, like a future post or maybe even a past post, but they just get some feedback on something they've written mm-hmm. because that's where my strong suit is. Uh, and I let him, I, I sent this to him and said, Hey, I just want to make sure that you have this. I offer this to all of my new connections. Mm-hmm. And he responded back with, um, uh, what's my pain point, you know, and with, it seemed very, very curt. So I, I couldn't judge his tone. And that's the, that is the tricky part about mm, text DMs is that you can't really judge their tone. So mm-hmm. I, I chose to, I went out them a little bit and I chose a video post or a video response to him. And I said, Hey, and I said his name, I have no idea what it is. This is just something that I offer to everybody because I want to offer something valuable up front. I said, you know, we get all kinds of responses on our writing in school 
And then we leave school and it's like, we get no response mm -hmm. from anybody, like how we're doing. So this is just me kind of doing my thing. I used to be a teacher. I feel like it's valuable. People really respond well to it. Um, but if it's not for you, like, don't worry about it. Okay. Mm, that's fair. his next, his next, he never, he didn't do an audio or video reply. He just said, okay, let's talk. So wow. then I sent him a counseling <laughs> and I have a conversation with him in like an hour. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things where you just, you know, I think he realized, okay, I'm not pitching him something. I'm simply, you know, wanting to connect. I want to offer something valuable in front. That's how I want to start off my relationship. And it eventually, it was like he kind of thought out a little bit and eventually mm. was like, okay, um, I'll see what this guy's up to. So I'll let you know how it goes in about an hour. <laughs> That's awesome. That's super cool to, to hear yeah. though, because I would have probably gone the, the wrong way, I'm sure. And, it, and just, I don't know. I think that sometimes you're in those situations, it's hard to know what to do, but I think you handled it really well. I guess my last question for you is just like for anyone in the audience that's considering using LinkedIn as a monetization strategy, and let's just say they're new and they're, I don't know, only have a couple hundred followers or whatever. What advice do you have for them as far as like uh, building a, a way up to actually monetize something on LinkedIn? Show, don't tell. And don't mm -hmm. be afraid to, don't be afraid to do something that's unscalable. We, you know, starting off requires you to, you're picking yourself up kind of off the ground, right? Mm -hmm. Get off the ground. You're just going to have to do some things that you're not going to always be able to do. Don't be afraid uh -huh. of that. Um, there's so much emphasis these days on scaling your business and scaling your business that for people starting out, it's easy to assume that that's how you have to begin. Mm. And it was really comforting when I had our read somewhere and it may have been my friend Adriana again, because I get so much stuff from her. She said, you know, don't be afraid to begin with an unscalable thing that then change it as you start getting some traction. Mm, that's totally fair. I completely agree with that. I've heard of actually a lot of entrepreneurs that have very successful businesses that did a lot of non-scalable things in the beginning of like software companies. And they were even saying that a lot of it was like flintstoning stuff in the background. Like you want to look all perfect, but it's people like juggling stuff and stuff that does, is not scalable at all. Yeah. But like it looks all like buttoned up on like the front end. So I think that that's totally fair. Only last question I have for you is like, do you have any book recommendations for anything to do with like anything entrepreneurial or copywriting, messaging, anything of that nature? Oh, like a, like a marketing text or something like that? Yeah, just like any yeah. sort of like books that you've read in the last year or two that you enjoyed. Sure. Uh, Donald Miller's um, Building Your Story Brand was mm. massive for me. It's just a really clear outline of how you can, it's really about the mindset that you need to have as an entrepreneur, mm. uh, which uh, can really shift your, your copy. Instead of talking about yourself as a hero, your, your customer is, they see themselves as a hero and, and you have something that can help guide them on their journey, help them avoid failure and achieve success. So I'm mm. a big fan of Donald Miller's text. Um, I have seen it abused. And so there's, that's a whole separate conversation, hmm. but, um, I think the general premise, um, works and holds water. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Cause a lot of the times, like a lot of the companies would be the hero and then everyone wants to be the hero, like you said. So that's very, I love that communication framework. I love any sort of framework like that, that kind of makes everything super easy to yeah. kind of ingest. So I really appreciate the conversation, Michael. That was really fun. Where do I send people if they you want to drop your LinkedIn and I could also put it in the show notes as well, but if you wouldn't mind just telling people how to reach out if they want to learn more. 
Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Jeremy. I, I really appreciate it. The easiest way, yeah, is on LinkedIn. Um, I'm at Michael Scott Overholt, PhD. And um, if you wanted to email me, it's easy. It's Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at anabasisllc.com. And anabasis is spelled A-N-A-B-A-S-I-S-L-L-C.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for the time. All right. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for sticking around to the end of the episode with Michael Overholt, PhD. I thought that was a super fascinating conversation. As I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, I've never seen anyone that's monetized LinkedIn with only a thousand followers. I guess it helps to have a strategy. And for all sales professionals out there, like DMing just blindly and just not having any strategy is not good. So I thought it was interesting how he used a non-scalable method that worked for him because he actually monetized it. So, and I also thought it was interesting uh, having self-compassion in videos. No one, I guess a lot of people don't like the sound of their voice and they don't like necessarily seeing themselves on video. So I mentioned in the episode, I usually hide my portion of the video if I'm going live on LinkedIn or something of that nature. Anyways, hope you enjoyed this episode. If you enjoy the show 3PL Live, please review us on Spotify or Apple. I know I say that a lot and probably sound like a broken record at this point, but thank you. We appreciate you and have a great rest of your day.